Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning session of Saturday the 21st of February 2009, entitled Chasing Daylight Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, I know this has been a long morning already, uh, and I'll not try to make it any longer. So uh, Matthew chapter 16, let's look at a couple things, and then I will split off in about 20, 25 minutes, and that'll give you all enough time to have discussion, and then uh, enough time to maybe freshen up, throw water on your face, drink about four cups of tea, get ready for, uh, for the city center. Matthew chapter 16, and uh, you have to bear with me. I am not used to being a teacher. I'm not a teacher, I'm a preacher. It's a little difference. And, uh, but I'm trying to just give you some practical thoughts uh, this morning. Chasing daylight, uh, this is the second session, Matthew 16, look at verse 13. When Jesus was come into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, by the way, there were two Caesareas, Caesarea Philippi, which was in this region of Dan, very pagan city. There was also a Caesarea on the coast, which was uh, very re- well-renowned. But this is Caesarea Philippi. He's in a very pagan land when he speaks this. Uh, they worshipped a god named Pan in that region. Um, it was a very, very pagan, uh, polytheistic environment. But Jesus is getting ready to ask them a question in this environment, which he probably is going to ask you during this conference. Okay? Why not you look at it? He says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, I want to know who everybody else is saying I am. And they said, some, Jesus, are saying you are John the Baptist, and some Elias or Elijah, and other Jeremiah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Now, you're going to have to answer a question in your heart and in your mind this weekend. You may know Jesus. You've been saved. You've claimed him as your Savior. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all your sins. But who do you really say he is? Well, somebody answered up, a man by the name of Simon Peter, and thank God this is what, not one of those times where he put his foot in his mouth, but he answered right. Simon Peter said this, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And look at why he gave this answer. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Do you know every single ounce of truth and intellect you have was given to you by the God of creation. He gave you everything that you have in your intellect. And when you get an answer from Almighty God, you have to know. Listen, some of y'all in here have asked me, how do I know what God wants me to do in the near future? I want to know God's will for my life. How, how do I know who I'm going to marry? Well, I don't know who you're going to marry. I mean, I could try to answer that question for you. I've had kids come up to me and say, preacher, who's my next wife? <laughs> I'm not Jesus, you know. I mean, come on. What am I going to be doing in five years? Well, I wish I could tell you. You know, if you make it big, don't forget me. Remember when, we, when you come into your kingdom, amen? That's what Jesus, you know, thief said to Jesus. But he said, flesh and blood that not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Look at verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. That's one of the most misused verses of Scripture in all the Bible. The Catholic Church uses this verse of Scripture to think that the church is built upon Peter. But what Jesus was saying was this. He said, Peter, you're a little rock, but upon 
Jesus said this rock himself. He said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know what? We've got tremendous power tonight because if, I, if, I, if I'm thinking properly, answer me a question, young people. Are gates living objects? They're inanimate, aren't they? In other words, gates don't have a spirit of soul. They can't get up and walk, okay? Gates are stationary, inanimate objects. So if that's the case, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. How many times have we heard preachers, Frazier, say that heaven is, hell is storming our fortress and we've got to fight? You know what? If I'm correct in reading what I've read about what Jesus said, the gates of hell are stationary. They don't move. So that means if they're not going to prevail against us, we're charging hell. Do you know every time, young person, that you get down and pray for somebody that's lost or praying that God will reconcile a relationship in your family, you know what you're doing? You're storming hell's gates. You are bombarding hell's forces every time you pray to the God of heaven. Because you're more than a conqueror. You've got the same spirit within you that gave Paul and John and Peter and Silas and Barnabas power to preach, heal. You've got that same power within you. Use it. Don't abuse it. But he said, flesh and blood hadn't revealed it unto you. Look at verse number 19. He said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You say, what in the world is that? Well, let's look at what the keys are used for. And whatsoever thou shalt bind, thou shalt bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Now, once you look up at me, the principle of binding and loosing is very, very important. Okay, in your in your discussion time, in just a moment, you're going to discuss what binding and loosing is. You say, preacher, what is it? Can you help me? Binding and loosing has to do with interpretation of the scriptures. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but rabbis interpreted the Torah. Certain rabbis would read the Scripture, they would meditate upon it, they would study it, and those rabbis would set forth guidelines or rules, and those rules or guidelines was known as the rabbi's yoke. Okay, are you following me? A rabbi's yoke would be this. If he was to bind something, and his yoke bound something, that means that it was forbidden. But if he loosed it, and his yoke loosed a certain thing because of his interpretation of what the Scripture said. See, the people needed somebody to interpret the Torah for them, the law. If he had something loosed under his, uh, under his tutelage, that means that it was allowed. So if you either, if you believed what your rabbi said, then you yoked up with him. You took his yoke upon you. What did we just read in the last session? Jesus, there was one that said, my yoke is what? Do you know that Jesus didn't come to make this difficult for you? Have you ever, have y'all ever felt like God got you into something and then he kind of like lost interest? <laughs> y'all looking at me like, have you ever felt like God got you into a situation and then he went, I got to go do something else. You take care. I'll be back in a little bit. No, God don't do that. The words, uh-oh, oops, ain't never come across the lips of our Savior. He doesn't make a mistake. And when the rabbi was to forbid something or allow something, and listen, 
The rabbi did not interpret. Listen, his yoke just wasn't for interpretation, to interpret the Scripture properly. Do you know what it was for? It was to live it. He had a yoke and he interpreted the Scripture not just so he could be some big shot. He interpreted it so the people would know how to live for God. And young people, listen to me. When when you go to the Bible, do you look at it? It just do you look at the Bible as just another textbook, or do you look at it as a a book that can transform people? Do you know what I have seen, Shelley? More people change because of this book than anything else. I talked to somebody this week who has been going and talking to psychologists, laying on couches and vomiting up all their problems to a person who knows them not, hadn't spent one minute with them except in a session to sit on a, lay on a couch and talk to them, but yet they'll tell them what they need to do. You know what? They told me that this week, that in five minutes of prayer, God has done more in their life than five years with a psychologist. And do you know what all I did? All I did was open them up and give them two verses of Scripture. Two verses, and it's radically changed their whole thinking. Now listen, God's still working on them. You know that song, He's still working on me to make me what ought to be. Y'all like that? But thank God He's still working on us. You say, well, preacher... I ain't what I want to be. Well, he ain't done with you yet. I use the word ain't a lot, don't I? You can tell I'm from North Carolina. He's not done with you yet. What I'm trying to say, young people, is if you're going to chase daylight and seize the moment, you got to, there's got to be a, a point in your life where this becomes priority. Listen. I'm not, shooting at, I'm not shooting at the dark and I'm not blowing smoke at you. There has to come a time in your life where this book's more important than anything else. It's more important than your boyfriend. It's more important than your girlfriend. It's more important than any relationship. As much as I love my mama, my wife, my kids, I'm going to tell you right now, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and His precious Word, I don't know where I'd be today. This is the book that led me to Calvary. I, somebody asked me, who led you to Christ? The Holy Spirit did. I was given a gospel track inside of a little New Testament on the way to boot camp in the military. I began to read that, Tim, and God pricked my heart and He began to massage my heart and I got saved by the grace of God. It wasn't because anything that anybody said to me. It was what God said to me. Jesus said, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. When's the last time you rejoiced over your salvation? When's the last time? Now, don't look at me like that. Okay, you give yourself away. When's the last time you just got down and you praised God for being saved? Get so preoccupied with life, we forget about where we came from. You show me somebody that knows where they've been, and I'll show you somebody that knows where they're going. What's this book mean to you? What does it mean to you? Is it just a textbook? I go back to my Christian school experience in the States. And George, I watch kids as we'd get to Wednesday night prayer meeting. And we used to meet in the uh, cafeteria of the Christian school because we didn't have a youth center. And we would meet in the cafeteria, Brother Frazier, and I'd tell the kids, open your Bible to, you know, Revelation chapter number 2. We're going to talk about the churches tonight. And 
You know what most of those kids would do? Oh, hold on just a minute, preacher. Now, they'd all been in Christian school all, sing, all day long. And guess where they'd go get, get from their locker? Their Bible. Out of their locker in the hallway. And you know what I figured out? Here's the problem, man. A lot of us begin to treat the Bible like a textbook and not God's book. How many of y'all have ever heard this? Well, the Bible's our owner's manual. I am so sick of hearing that. Can I ask you something? When's the last time you read the owner's manual to your toaster? Have you ever got your toaster, toaster's owner manual out and go, start reading it, boy, and it inspired you and it was meaningful, and you went, wow, my life has been changed because I know how to set the warming button on a toaster now. You know what you usually use the owner's manual for? Is when it's broke or you don't know how to use it, you read how to fix it, you read how to use it, put it back in the drawer, and you don't use it again. That is not what the Bible is. The Bible's not your owner's manual. The Bible is what changes your life, and you need to read it. See, when I was in the Marine Corps, my wife, some of you guys that live on a military base, and one of my dear brothers back here, his dad's a former military, retired. When I was in the military, I wasn't married until about the third year I'd been on active duty. And I can remember being out in the middle of the desert, there was nobody around. There was one telephone booth, and then everything else was desert. And we had a few little picnic tables that we set out there that we'd sit down and we'd talk. And I can remember one day when the guys would bring the mail twice, uh, I believe it was twice a month that they brought mail to us. I can remember when there was a letter that came to me. I opened that letter up. I did not realize because they didn't put no return address on it, she did it for a reason. My wife had written me a love letter. Now, let me tell you something. My wife was almost 3,800 miles away from me. I hadn't seen her, my wife-to-be, had not seen her in about six months. And I opened that letter up, guys, and you know what I loved about her letters? She would spray perfume on them. Now, I'm telling y'all, I've been out in the desert with nothing but a bunch of nasty-smelling Marines and here comes a letter from my precious wife that I hadn't seen in six months, and it's got Chanel number five on it. And I pick that thing up, and I'm like, <laughs> You want to know why? Because I just, that letter was written to me. And I didn't go, oh, that's nice. Put it back in the envelope. No, I read it, and I read it, and I read it over and over and over and over again. I could recite what it said after a week. Some of you in here have been given the greatest love letter in the world. And when's the last time you opened it up? Do you know what? You today, because Jesus' yoke is easy and His burden's light, you have, you have the capability of binding and loosing the Scripture, interpreting the Scripture. You, listen, your pastor ain't just the only one that can do it. You can rightly divide the word of truth. You say, well, preacher, what do you mean interpretation? Do you know when you look at a text of Scripture, just what we're reading today, you know what you have to do when you study the Bible? Now, I'm not, this is just a little uh, class in Bible study, okay? Somebody tell me, what do you do when you read a passage of Scripture? First of all, wouldn't you like to know who wrote it? Huh? Wouldn't that be good, who wrote it, you know? Second of all, wouldn't you like to know where it was written from, who it was written to, what was the time period it was written in? See, when you study the Bible, you've got to study it in its historical, 
grammatical and contextual references. You can't just take a piece of Scripture, lift it out of context, and apply it to whatever you want to. You know, that's what a lot of people do, though. I mean, think about this with me. Matthew chapter 24. Okay, don't turn there, but just write this down. In Matthew chapter 24, go back and read it this afternoon. You probably won't because most of you are going to be looking at the back of your eyelids, okay? But Matthew chapter 24 was written and it said this. The disciples came to him on Mount Olive and they said this, Lord, what shall be the sign of thy coming into the end of the world? And you know what Jesus began to do? He began to give some, some, some things that will show when he's coming back. He said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He said there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in all various types of places. By the way, we're seeing every bit of that, aren't we? You know what? The, it says wars and rumors of wars. It says nations shall rise against nation. Do you know what the word nation is? You know what the Greek word is? It's the Greek word ethnos. We get our English word ethnic from it. Do you know what? It doesn't mean like Iran against Iraq or Russia against America, England against Japan. No, it means ethnic group against ethnic group are going to be warring and warring and warring. Man, what a day we've, we see. It's unparalleled. And let me tell you who the author of that is. It's Satan. The devil is the author of ethnic division. You know what, Evie? I wouldn't care what color you were. You're my sister. See, you don't come from where I come from. See, in my country, in the South, and I can speak by experience because I know, racial tension has been in the air since our nation was founded. And I'm telling you, I know where the author of that, where it all stems from, the author of it is the devil. Because every single person in this room is precious in God's sight. Do you know there's only one race? The human race. God don't... You know what? You need to get past some of your barriers. It may not be an ethnic problem. It may be something else though. But you think about it. How do you interpret the Scripture? A lot of people have tried to take in Matthew chapter number 24 and apply that to the church. Guess what? You can't do that. Because when Jesus spoke on the Mount of Olives, who, were he, who was He speaking to? Jews. He was speaking to his Jewish disciples. So, we know that the church, if you've got your doctrine and you've got your theology lined up pretty good with what the Bible says, you know that the church is going to be raptured out of here seven years prior to the imminent return of the millennial reign of Christ. So, if that's the case, you know what? The signs that Jesus is talking about are not signs of the rapture. It's signs of his revelation when he comes back and physically puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. Because guess what? Israel's not the church, and the church ain't Israel. You say, what's that got to do with it? It's got to do with rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't treat your Bible like a owner's manual. Don't just say, oh, got a problem. Close it, put it in the door. Don't read another thing for another three months. You interpret Scripture contextually, historically, grammatically. Okay? Find out for yourselves what it says. I give you a perfect example. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to be done in just a minute. That gives you all enough time to kind of talk and, 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 and labor over some of these things and look at it. 
But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. One of the most misapplied verses in all of Scripture, I believe. I want you to look down in verse number 20, 27. Now, of course, this was the day in which the gift of tongues was a manifestational gift given so that the uh, glory of God would come forth and people could understand what people were saying. Listen, folks, when we got the completed canon of God's Word, that gift ceased. Now, if you want to debate that later, you can. We can talk about it a little bit and I can show you a little bit deeper of why I believe that through the Bible. But here's what's the problem. I don't want to talk about tongues as much as I want to talk about the misuse of what was going on in that day. They were misusing a legitimate gift that God gave to the church, the gift of tongues. Here's what was happening. Everybody was standing up, George, and they were all speaking in tongues. And Paul comes in their midst and he says, Whoa, time out. If it's going to be done because God, in this context, is not the author of confusion. He says, if it's going to be done properly, let's do it right, and this is the way it's done. Look at verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be done by two, or at the most by three. Have any of you ever been to, uh, seen something on TV where you've been in the midst of a meeting, and I was at a church one time, and I'm telling you, thousands of people were doing it at the same time. And nobody was there to do it the way the Bible says, and I have an interpreter. I'm sitting in a service one time, and I promise you before God, I just went because I wanted to see if I was wrong. Have you ever been there? I wanted to know if this was something that I was missing, if I didn't have the gift of the baptism of the Spirit, you know, the second blessing or whatever they want to call it. Brother Frazier, I went into a meeting. I sat down, and all of a sudden, everybody began to stand up, and all of a sudden, these people started talking, and I didn't understand a word they are saying. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't understand that. And this woman was in front of me. I mean, she was going to town with it. I don't know, I, I don't know how to do it. I mean, I, I've never spoken in tongues. Don't believe I'm less of a Christian because I hadn't. You're welcome. And she's sitting there, and I promise you, on all that is holy. I'm sitting there, and she's going, And then she said this. She said, matata. I went, oh! I said, I can, I can interpret that. I said, I know what that means. Now, I didn't do that really, but I wanted to. I wanted to say that means you need no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy, akuna matata. I was like, I can interpret it. You know what? I thought, what heresy? This woman going to use a phrase out of Lion King and then going to say it was of God. You say, what's your point? My point is this, let's read on. said, if it be done, let it be done by two, and that at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. That means one stand up if somebody's speaking, and they'll have to tell the people what they said. And then it says this, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. But let's let our eyes fall down to verse number 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And look at verse 34. Let the women keep silence in the churches. And all God's men said, Amen. <laughs> you know what I've heard? Listen, in the States, you know what churches will do? I've got some churches that I go to, and their women won't even come up and shake hands and say, Hey, because a pastor's got up and said, the Bible says, bless God. I can't stand it anymore. The Bible says, let the women keep silent. 
You know what I want to say? Well, you need to go back and study your Bible, buddy. Because you know what in context it's talking about? It's talking about the gift of tongues. Don't you let anybody, young ladies, look at me. Don't you let anybody tell you you have to sit there and not say a word. If you want to praise God, you go ahead and have a time. I'll join you. If you want to say amen, it don't bother me a bit. If you want to get up and say, you know what, i got a word of testimony, it don't bother me a bit. I even know churches that go so far as to say, our women can't even sing in our churches. I'm telling you, that's the most blatant dismissuse of Scripture I've ever heard of in my life, Dino. Ever. You want to know why? Because we're not, we're treating the Bible like an owner's manual, Tenica, and we're not treating it like God's Word. You interpret Scripture by in, in its context, its grammatical uh, language. You understand the Scripture because when it was said, who it was said to, and why it was said. You say, what's, why do you tell us all that? My second point is this. The reason, that, the reason that we need to bind and loose, the reason that we need to interpret Scripture properly, turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 15. I'm going to be done, okay? We ain't got but just a couple minutes, and I want to try to let y'all have about 15 minutes and then give you some time to get ready. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse 15. I hope I'm not offending nobody. I'm just trying to give you what God's given me, okay? And what I'm teaching you is the Bible. I'm not trying to correct it. I'm trying to explain it, okay? But I want you to look at chapter number 2 and look at verse 15. When I count to 3, I want all of us to read it. Well, I'll read it to you. You read it silently. I'll read it out loud, okay? 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 15. It says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly, it says rightly, didn't it, Tyler? Not wrongly. It says rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and look at this verse 15. You ought to take your pen and underline it. Once you've underlined it, take your pen and uh, circle the word study, the verse, first word. By the way, that is not a suggestion in the Greek language. It's a command. God didn't suggest you study His Word. He commands you to study His Word. Now, you know what the Greek word study literally means? It literally means to toil, or if I can use a, a metaphor... To pick and shovel in labor. Now, you say, why do you say that? Young people, God didn't call you to sit on the bench and watch the game. He called you to get off the bench, ask the coach, God of heaven, I want to play, and go into the game and, and have an enjoyable time. The way you do that is you study His Word. You study. But I'm going to tell you what happens sometimes. If you just do a common skimming of the Bible and you don't dig and you don't pick and shovel labor over it, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. You don't get up in the morning and say, God, tell me what I need to know there. Jesus wept. That's it? No, you study it. Study to show yourself to prove unto God. A workman that don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing God's Word. It's labor sometimes. It's toilsome. Young people, I'm telling you something. It hurts sometimes to get in something. You start digging a little deeper and digging a little deeper, and before you know it, you go, I've been in here three hours. I 
I'm done with this. Stories told about two wrestlers, an American wrestler and a Russian wrestler in the Olympics. Russian wrestler was almost assured a gold medal. He was undefeated. He was one of the best in the world at that time, back in the mid-80s. The American wrestler got into the, America, the Roman Greco circle and began to wrestle with this uh, Roman, I mean Russian, Roman, this Russian, and he began to wrestle, and all of a sudden the Russian put him in this famous uh, hold. It was called the pretzel hold. I mean, and that's the reason why they called it that, because when he got him in that hold, he looked like a pretzel, okay? He had that American all bound up, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the coach is going, get out of that hole, get out of that hole, he's going to pin you. And all of a sudden, that American turned the tide, he pinned that Russian, he stood up and he was a champion, won the gold medal. He came over to his coach, and his coach said, I can't believe nobody's ever got out of that, Ru that Russian's pretzel hold. How did you do it? And the American wrestler went, <laughs> he said, you'd be amazed at what you do when you, when you bite your own foot. Some of y'all get that in a minute. I'll let it soak in a little bit. You know what? There's a lot of times when you, when you labor and wrestle over the Scripture that you've got to do by all means necessary what it takes to find out what it says. That means you need to study. You need to sometimes dig a little deeper and try to figure out what God is saying to you. Now, the rabbis had a phrase that they used when they used to toil over the Scripture. And if they couldn't figure out what it was, they would get in prayer and they would uh, get, get in a place where they could meditate upon it. And if God wouldn't give them uh, an answer, they'd stay sometimes in that room until they got one. And you know what they called it? They called it wrestling. Wrestling. You know, there was a time when God wrestled with a man by the name of Jacob. And guess what? After that wrestling match, Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. You know what? Some of you in here have let, you've let go. You're not, you're not trying anymore. You just let go. You say, I'm done. I, I can't do it anymore. When God says, hang in there, keep wrestling. And do you know what? Because of his wrestling with God, God changed his name from Jacob, which means trickster, supplanter, to Israel, which means a prince with God. That means somebody that has spent time with God. He changed his name, Pastor Leonard, and he said, your no more name, name should be called Jacob, but Israel, which means prince of God. And it says that God, in order to get a hold of him, had to touch the hollow of his thigh. And it, when he did that, it knocked it out of joint. And from that day forward, young people, Jacob walked differently. He never walked the same. He walked with a limp. You don't know why? Because he wrestled with God. Some of you in here, you know what? Everything's going great. But I promise you this, if you get in and have a definite experience with God, when you leave His presence, you'll never be the same. And you know what's crazy about that story about Jacob? Jacob was a shepherd. Do you know what shepherds did? They walked the countryside miles and miles and miles. And do you know what, Brother Frazier? God touched Jacob at his strongest point. He needed his legs as a shepherd. You know what? God's touched me many, many times. I've heard a lot of people here say, boy, I tell you what, I don't know what this conference would be if you didn't come. You know what? If God's the founder of it and the builder of it, it'd go right on.
If I take my last breath today and I go into eternity, you make sure you ain't built a ministry on your pastor or me or any other man. You build it on the foundation which is sure, and that's Jesus Christ, and it'll continue till he comes back. Because you know what I found out, Tim? It ain't about me. It's about him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you today. Thank you, Lord, for this gathering. Thank you for all these precious young people. I pray that you would let our time in the city center be profitable. Lord, we may not lead anybody to Calvary, but that doesn't mean you ain't still looking for them. And I pray that you would continue to do a great work in our midst today. Help us to get some rest when we have our free time. And uh, be ready to hear from you tonight. We'll love you and praise you because of all the reasons why we have to love you. Sometimes, Lord, we can't think of many reasons y'all love us. But I know that the Bible says here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us first and gave His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for that gift. And we praise Him today and worship Jesus who sits on the throne and intercedes for us. We love you. ask you to dismiss us and help the discussion time to be profitable. In Jesus' name, amen.